Well, this has been just a fantastic way to start off a worship service. I'm so thankful that we get to be as part of that. We have like 24 baptisms today, and, and uh, the next service, I think, has the most of all. This is just great. If you're a guest, my name's David, and I'm the pastor, and I'm so glad you're here. I hope you know you're always welcome to be a part of anything that, uh, that we have going on. We just hope you feel like you, you belong here. We want you to feel that way. And uh, we're in this series. It started the uh, first of the year. It's going to go through in the next month or in the end of this month, uh, next week, whatever, Sunday. It's just four weeks of this thing. It's entitled, But God. And uh, the premise of this uh, whole series is really is that when you, or at least for me, when I'm reading the, the, the Bible, when I'm reading about these horrible things that are going on, the way the sinfulness of mankind and the things that go on and all of this, and then I'll read this phrase, but God. And you read this phrase, but God, and it's like everything changes. And you see that there's, there's something that God is going to be doing. And it's made me realize, and kind of thematically for this whole, whole series that I've tried to stress, is that it's amazing to understand that despite all the fact that we constantly rebel against God, God is always bringing us back to him. You know, we rebel against God, and God's like, come on back. Come to me. I want you. And it's, it's an amazing thing to think that God does this. Now, the God is, I've stressed this, and I stress this a lot, God is a holy God. The holiness of God is his central characteristic. Everything spins off that. It means he's complete, he's whole, he's perfect, he lacks nothing. He is, he is holy. And, and as his holiness, we see all these characteristics. And we see this in this series, but God, and we've looked so far at grace and power. Next week is love. Today will be mercy. But these things aren't independent of each other. They're always constantly working together. So this week, we come to the book of Ephesians. And we see his mercy in Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, as we come here today, what I really, what I want to stress on this message and what I want you to get is this, that in his mercy, in his mercy, God spares us what we deserve for our rebellion against him. Because he is merciful, God spares us what we deserve because of our rebellion against his. Now this week and next, next week in love, we're going to be in Romans, pretty, pretty unique, tough passage there. This week we're also in one of those passages that has a lot in it. And there's a lot of theology and all that. And, you know, I'm not going to go through all that with you. I understand. I, took care, I studied all that. Got, got, got all that. But I'm really trying to get us to, to get to understand what really what needs to be said to us today. And really, to begin this, is talk about the fact that our perception of reality is lacking. I mean, we, we don't have a really good perception of reality. I, I know this in my life, how I think about myself. You know, you know I, every time I look in a mirror, I, I'm surprised. I'm, I'm thinking I was expecting something better, you know? And I've been in a mirror a lot, and I'm just looking like, man, that's, like, that's disappointing. And every week, I, you know, I go back over pretty much every week. I go up over like the 945 service. I'll watch it on our video and all that to look at everything. And, and I keep thinking, I just don't like the way I sound. I think I'm gonna, I keep thinking I'm going to sound like Darth Vader. I mean, that's how I want to sound, you know. You know, I, I mean, your father, you know, in the name of the father, the son. You know, I'm going to sound like that, you know. And then I look at myself and I realize the camera adds 10 pounds. We got four cameras. There's 40 pounds added. <laughs> that's rough. It's just, not what, it's just not how I think it's supposed to be, you know. And that's how we are as humans in our humanity we have this understanding of ourselves that's wrong. We, we, we think basically that we're good. And we think as humans, you know, we're, we're pretty good. I hear this all the time. Well, you know, there's good in everybody. You know, people are basically good. There's a little bit of bad in there, but we're basically pretty good. And we're not. And that's the wrong reality. And the passage we're in today puts 
All of that to shame, man. And you can't walk away from this passage and really feel that way. Now, when they write the Bible, they don't write in chapters and verses, all right? They didn't sit down. We added that later. And so Paul writes this amazing letter to this church at Ephesus. And what we call the second chapter, there's this section of 10 verses. And in those verses, he just speaks to us. And and actually, in verse 8 and 9 of chapter 2 are the best-known verses, really in Ephesians, where Paul says, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. For by grace are you saved through faith, it's the gift of God, not of works, not of yourselves, so you don't boast. It's an amazing passage, but it's part of this longer passage. And, and you have in verses 1 through 7, one long sentence. And, we, you know, and they divide up into verses. Now, we're not going to focus on verse 6 and 7, as important as it is. We're going to focus on the first five verses. And understand that the heart of the first five verses doesn't even come to verse 5. When, when the, the main part, the main verb, we're made alive together, comes to light. So before that, it's setting this up. And what you see kind of is this contrast. You see us and you, and then you see but God. And in all of this, pointing out our sinfulness. And it's set up in chapter 1. In chapter 1, there's some things that Paul writes that, that set all of this up. In chapter 1, Paul, Paul tells us that, that uh, before, the, before the world began, we were chosen. God chose us before the foundation of the world. Before he created anything, he already knew which of us were coming to the faith, who was bringing the faith. It, it says, in love he predestined us. In his love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons and daughters, as children in in Christ. He predestined us to be adopted in Christ. It says in him, in Christ, we have, you know, the, the, the redemption by his blood. We have the forgiveness of our trespasses by his grace. And in hearing this, he says, you heard his gospel, his message of truth, the gospel of salvation. You believed in him. You believed in this. He sets all of this up. And we come then to chapter 2. And, and there's three things in these first few verses, the first three verses God's going to say to us. And, and two of them are paradoxical. He's going to say, first of all, that you were dead in your sins. And then he's going to say, but you live in your sins. You're both dead and you live. You know, you're dead in your sins and you live in your sins. And then he's going to say that you deserve judgment. We deserve that. So here it is, verse 1. He tells us this. And you were dead in your trespasses. In sense. That word dead is so important because it speaks of a fundamental spiritual truth. This is not physical death. This is spiritual death. Spiritually, before Christ saves us, we are spiritually dead. And there's no life in us spiritually. And, and, and think about people that are dead. They can't do anything. Corpses do nothing. We're a spiritual corpse. I've done a lot of funerals, you know, and the body's there. And, and never has the body ever done anything, ever. And if the body <laughs> would ever do anything... I'd be the first one out the door, you know. You'd be on your own. Because I wouldn't know what's happening, but this is it, you know. They don't do anything because they're dead. Spiritually, you can't do anything. You can't produce some spirituality. You can't do something in your life that pleases God when you're spiritually dead to him. And the reason you're dead is because your sins, because your trespasses. The word sin is the very general term that means to miss what God expects, to fall short of his expectation. It's the general term for sin. Trespass is a very specific term that has the idea of crossing a boundary line. I, I come from central South Texas, you know, uh, you just, I say that all the time because, you know, as most Texans, I'm very proud of where I come from, you know. You don't ever have to ask someone if they're from Texas. If they're from Texas, they'll tell you. And if they're not, just don't embarrass them. You just don't want to do that, you know. And so, you know, and, and down there we have barbed wire everywhere. You know, barbed wire, and all the barbed wire you always see, no trespassing, no trespassing, no trespassing. 
don't cross that barbed wire fence. Now, down there, if you cross that fence, no telling what will happen. Because you know? some of them will just as soon shoot you as not, either because you can't read and they figure, why have you around, or whatever reason. You can't cross that line. And that's the concept of trust. That's just a line you cross. And when you cross that line, it's your rebellion against God. It's your rejection of God. And we live in that place. But we live there dead. We're spiritually dead. But not only spiritually dead, we live in our sin. We're dead in our sins and we live in our sins. And verse 2 says this, in which you formerly walked. The idea of walking is living. You, you, he's talking now to the church at Ephesus. They come from a pagan background. Most of them were Gentiles who are now believers. And some were Jews who were believers. But they come from this background. And he, and he says to them, you used to live this way. He's going to describe how he lived in their sins and their trespasses. And how he describes it. He says, according to the course of this world. That phrase world, that term world, it, 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 cosmos, means either earth or people on earth. Or in most cases like this, people in rebellion against God on earth. And the word course, in a lot of your versions, may have the word age. It's the period of time. He says, you live in a world that is in rebellion against God, specifically in this period of time. Right now, in this time, especially, this is where you live. In every period of time, every time is in rebellion against God. This is where you live. Not only that, he says, but according to the prince of the power of the air. Now, it is understood universally that this is a reference to Satan. To the devil. He's called the prince of the power there. The prince is the ruler. The word power, last week when we looked at, um, you know, God, and, but God, we saw the power of God. The concept of power is both ability and authority. This word means authority. That the prince of the, the air has a certain authority. Now, don't get all caught up and stop right here because people get, come to this passage and they'll see this in their reference to Satan and this is where they want to spend all their time, just talking about where, you know, Satan and what he does and where he rules and how his reign and what does all this mean. Understand in that day and age, they divided up the world that we lived in or our everything into heaven and earth and that in between. And basically their understanding is that in between, that which is invisible belonged to the power that is in Satan. If you have the New Living Translation, it translates this phrase, the commander of the unseen world. And so the understanding is that we live according to the age that we live in, in the world which is in rebellion, and according to the one who has led rebellion in the unseen ways in which he does it. Because of this, we also, it says, are according to the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, or the attitude. So we also live in this whole, the word sons is the title, this whole concept of disobedience. So what is happening is he's describing the way we live in three ways. We live in our sins and our trespasses, just like a world that is in opposition, just like the enemy who is in opposition, and those who identify as disobedient in complete opposition and rebellion. This is how you lived before Christ. You were dead in your sins, and you lived in your sins. And then he also says you deserve judgment. Verse 3, among them too, we formerly all lived. We lived that way. You know, he's you know, talking you know, to a church that's primarily came from a Gentile world, but there were Jews there also. And, they all, and he said, all of us, we all live here. And he says we live in the lust of our flesh. The word lust is the word desire. It, it, it's a neutral word, but it's almost always used in, in a negative way. Our flesh, the sinfulness, immorality, indulging in the desires of the flesh and even of the mind. That word indulging. You know, I think about that. When I think of indulging, you know, I, I like 
to go to El Paso and go to Marie and, and, and to go to La Madeline Cafe. And La Madeline's there because La Madeline has a French cafe. It has all these desserts, like cream brulee and they're like chocolate and just like there's a lot of there's a lot of puff and a lot of cream and a lot of chocolate and a lot of ooh la la right there, you know. And I don't care what diet I'm on. When I walk in there, this boy's indulging. My diet, my diet stopped at the door. My diet stopped three lights before I got there, man. Because the Madeline is French for David, go ahead. That's what that means. And I just do. And that's how we live. We indulge ourselves. We pour ourselves into the flesh and the things of our mind, the desires, the schemes of our mind. And it says, we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. We are children of the wrath. And this is where people struggle. So we're going to talk about this a bit. People struggle with the concept of wrath because when we think of wrath, we think of how we think about it as, as Americans, you know, and, and the idea of this unbridled anger and this sense of vengeance, you know, the wrath of Khan. I remember even hearing preachers in, in, in the old days preaching about, you know, the wrath of God coming down, which is this they were looking forward to it, you know. You know and, and, and I get it. Like I said, God is this vengeful, always angry. Well, the word wrath does mean anger, but not always the way we think about it. It is God's holy disposition against sin. It is connected to his love. It's, just, it's two sides of the same coin, love and wrath. The opposite of love, love, wrath is not the opposite of love. Indifference would be the opposite of love. God wouldn't care. But no, wrath is the idea of, of God as he acts towards sin. I think sometimes about, you know, about how parents with children. Now, I understand you have to be careful with illustrations about parents because sometimes some of you came from families where parents weren't good. Some of you as parents may not be great. I don't know. Uh, when I look at some of the kids over in Upstreet, I question some of you as parents, but that's okay. You know, just as long as you get those kids, out, take your kids home with you when you leave because if you don't want them, we don't either, probably for the same reason. So take them. But I grew up, my mama set me a curfew at one point, and it was midnight. Because nothing good ever happens after midnight. Anytime you're on the news and something bad happens, 1 a.m., you know. And so, and, and listen, some of you guys that are younger, if your curfew is like 10 or something earlier than that, don't go to your mama and say that the pastor said midnight's a better curfew, not 9 or 10. Don't say that. I'm not saying that. It's true, but I'm not saying that to you. Don't want to put you in opposition against your mom and your dad. But mom, you know, she set this curfew. And the reason she set the curfew is because she, she was concerned about me. She loved me. It was the boundary. I want you home. You know, don't, and, and, and didn't want any excuses, you know. And, and I, you know. A lot of times I came a little bit late, you know, maybe two or three minutes late. Always had to get gas because, you know, traffic is so bad at midnight. You get traffic jams. And going from Debbie's house to mine, you know, several gas stations. I couldn't pass them up. Had to get, I mean, just, and if I eventually, after, she was patient, but she said, okay, I've had enough. And then she would ground me. And my mom, my mom loved to ground me. She always grounded me. Um, she would ground me for life. When she passed away, I was serving 27 life sentences that, uh, from being grounded all those times. It was just an amazing, you know, when, when that happened. But it was because of the love, the boundaries we set. Her wrath, her anger was not, was not vengeance. It was, was to set the boundary. I mean, think about God for a moment. A couple of weeks ago, we were in, in Genesis. And the part where it says the thoughts and the hearts of men were only evil all the time. It was only evil all the time. And so God decided to, to wipe out humanity. But in his grace, he saved Noah. But, you know, people get upset with God. About, God, you know, why do you, I'm mad at God because he allows evil. And then when God does something about evil, they get mad. But what, God, he had to end humanity because the world was just completely out of control. Have you ever seen a ruler or a despot or a king or a queen with no control? 
I mean, you know, and you think of the world at times. You think of, what do you see? You see war. You see, you see slavery. You see, you see genocide and rape. That's what humans do. So the wrath of God is to correct that. And it's very simple why he does it. Because we are spiritually dead people, unable to know God, and we are in trouble. And so we see that God looks at us and he sees us that we are dead in our sins. We live in our sins. And we deserve judgment. In verse 4 says this, but God. But God, but God, being rich, rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. But God. The word rich is just extravagant wealth. He's full of this mercy that way. The word mercy is the idea of compassion or pity. It, it's, it's the idea of, of, of one who has compassion on someone else. My, I, one of my seminary professors, Dr. Uri, uh, who was my, uh, uh, he was my advisor when I got my doctorate too. And um, he used to say, mercy is love in action. Mercy is just God's love in action. We see here that's based on his great love. We're going to see the love of God more next week uh, when we come to Romans you know, chapter 5, verse 8. And God showed his great love to us. And, and this love, this is what it is, is God not giving us what we deserve. Having pity and compassion, not giving us what we deserve. Grace is that God gives us what we don't deserve. And mercy is when he doesn't give us what we do deserve. And it says this, here's the thing about the mercy. It was verse 5 says, even, even we were in our dead in our transgressions, we were dead. What happened? He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. He made us alive together. This is this big Greek word. It's so rich in all the things, components of it. It's the concept of being together, being, having life the way you're supposed to have. Zoe, life is such, you know, the work of God. He's working just to give life to us. But God does the work. I don't do the work. I don't earn it. I don't desert it. I'm not the one who toils for it. God does it. He does it by his grace because we don't deserve it. Later on in verses 8 and 9, he says, Paul writes, For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works, as any of you should both. You've been saved by, by grace and faith. It's a gift. You realize both grace and faith, which saves us, are gifts of God? It says so, and Paul writes that. It's not, we don't earn it. I remember growing up hearing this, and I've told you this before, and it's one of the things that just really still to this day angers me when I hear this and think about growing up. I used to hear preachers say, you know, God supplies the grace and we supply the faith. Are you kidding me? Nowhere does it say we supply faith. We can't supply the faith. We're dead. A corpse can't supply faith. You can't bring anything to the table. There's only one thing you bring to your salvation, your rebellion against God. That's all you bring. God gives you grace and he gives you faith. But giving you faith doesn't mean you're not responsible to accept that faith and respond. When we say you do nothing for your salvation, we mean you don't earn it, you don't merit it, you don't work for it. But Jesus came up, you know, to Peter and the guys, and he said, guys, come follow me. They had to follow him. They did something, but they didn't do anything. They weren't going to follow Jesus on their own. He had to call them. He had to say, come, 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 and then they followed. Jesus says, you want to be my disciple? Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. That's his call upon our life. We don't come up with that, but we still have to do that. Paul says, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, and you'll be saved. 
You got to confess and believe. But you're able to confess and believe because God puts it on your heart to confess and believe. He convicts you of your sin. He convinces you. You need Jesus in his mercy. He doesn't give you what you deserve. Instead, in his grace, he gives you faith. And you can either reject that faith or take the faith he gives you and use it. That's how it happens. And that's the reality of God. And you need to understand that's the reality, whether you like it or not. That we are saved not by what we do, but by a God who is rich in mercy, not giving us what we deserve. And we need to really understand the value of mercy. Mercy is so important. Um, my mom was, was 19 years older than me, and she had a brother one year younger than her, then another brother six years older than me. And when I was, you know, four or five, it means my mom was like 23, 24. Her brother was, you know, 22, 23, that one. He would always, he would pick on me a lot. I don't, can't imagine why anybody ever do that to me. But he would take this finger. Now understand, this part, all of my family is from the country. There's nothing wrong with the country. Being the country from the great is great. All those roots there going back to that part of Texas. But they were from the part of country. They were the country kind of people that were mean. They were mean. He, not my mother, not my mom or my grandparents, but my uncle was just mean. He was mean country, okay? He was, he was the kind of country that when you took a chicken fried steak, he'd steal the gravy. He was that kind of country, okay? So he would take this finger and he would bend it up and in like that. And that hurts. It hurts a lot. It hurts right now. I don't know why I'm doing it, but I stopped. And here's what he would do. Say uncle. Because uncle was like mercy. Say uncle. Beg for it. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I didn't want to do that because I was stubborn. I know. That's amazing. But I didn't want to do it. But eventually I did it. I would say uncle. Then I look at my mom like, what are you going to do about it, mom? And she said, why don't you just say uncle earlier and it'd be over with. That's really, that's really strong parenting advice right there. <laughs> Here's the thing about mercy. If you have to beg for mercy, it ain't mercy. You don't ever beg God. You know, we don't beg God for mercy. Do you realize that? It's not something we go up to God and begging for. It's something he just gives us. Because that's who he is. The God who loves us. with such a great love. That he gives us the richness of his mercy. And we trust him. I'm amazed at how often people get so upset when you talk about salvation as if they don't have a part in it. And people get upset because when we, when you don't have a part of your salvation. Well, why not? Why, why don't I have a part of my salvation? Why do, you, why do you get upset about that? Why do you get upset that it's all of God? I mean, just be, I'm just thankful I'm saved, man. I don't, I, listen, if it was up to me, I wouldn't have done it. If I had to bring something to the table, I'd be lost. But God brings it and he gives it to me and I, and I, and I accepted it. But it's his to give. And then there are some people, though, they act like, you know, that we don't even have faith. They act like we're just, you know, dead statues and God touches us and we come to life and that's it. And, and never realize that you still have to have, you can reject the faith. Don't, on the one hand, don't be so prideful that you reject truth. But don't be so stuck in your theology that you reject the reality of what is taught. What is taught here is that God gives us everything and we still have to follow him. You still have to respond in faith. But it's the faith that he gives. Remember, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. I mean, it, it says clearly God 
chose us before the world began. He, in love, predestined us. And he saved us by his grace. But he gave us the message and we believed. He gave us the message and we believed. But he gave it. Don't ever forget that if I was on my own, I would walk according to the age of this world. I would be living, following the prince of the power of the air. I would be joining my brothers as sons of disobedience. You see, here's what Paul reminds us of. You made your decision and you decided to reject God. Every one of you decided in your life to reject God. And God doesn't owe you anything, not one thing. And yet, because he is a God so rich in mercy, he does offer you something he offers you the salvation. You see, God showed you mercy, showed me mercy, when you and I deserve none. And he did it because he loves you. And he gave you grace. And he gave you faith. That's what he gave you. You know, I didn't just wake up one day and decided to follow God, do faith in Christ. No, he, he called me. And I understand that. He, he gave to me that. I spent the last 43 years, though, preaching to people in all my heart. You still got to give your life to him. You, you've got to turn away from your sin. And you got to turn to follow Jesus. You got to turn away from your life. And you got to turn to follow him and give your life to him. But once you do this, understand you're doing it because he called you. This wasn't your idea. It was his it's an amazing thing to think that God calls us to salvation. He calls us today. Some of you today, God's calling today. Doesn't mean he's going to call you tomorrow. You ought not to think, well, you know, I'm not going to do it today. Maybe I'll do it tomorrow. He may not ask you tomorrow. He may not. You say, well, maybe next Sunday, preacher, you know, I'll come. You know, you're preaching on love. Maybe I'll bring my family and I'll give my life to Christ. He may not call you next week. He may not ask it and offer it to you. You say, well, I'll wait two or three weeks. Let me tell you. Two and three weeks, Brian and Joe are preaching. There's a pretty good chance he's not gonna, you're not going to feel the call to come to Christ, man. I mean, you know, this, you're going to be praying for mercy like half hour. Come on, man. Come on. I'm just kidding. They're good preachers. Joe, I see Joe over there sitting next to his wife. He right now doesn't know if she hates me or not, but I get that. I thought about when Brian preaches in a couple of weeks, I ought to just lead music. That would really make him look really like a good preacher. But I realized, I told the guys, if I ever leave music, something's wrong, call 911 because I'm about to completely lose it. You never know when God offers. When he offers, man, it's amazing. And he gives you the faith to just say, yeah, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to follow Jesus. And he gives it to you in that amazing mercy. And here's the, real, here's the value of mercy. I want you to see this. The value of mercy is that God gives you eternal salvation instead of what you, I deserve. That is amazing. I get to live forever with Jesus. I get eternal life. I get eternal salvation. I don't get what I deserve. And I'm thankful God gave it to me. And I'm thankful he's going to give it to you. But you got to trust him. So I began the message today just saying that God in his mercy did not give us what we deserved. 
in his mercy, God, he didn't give us what we deserved. Instead, he gave us grace, what we don't deserve. He gave us eternal life in Christ. Some of you today, you need to take that gift. And you need to trust Jesus to be your Savior. And you need to give your life to him. And in just a moment when I stand here, and there'll be others here as well, if you've never trusted Christ, will come give your life to him now. You can do it where you're at, absolutely. You can do it exactly where your seat is. So give your life to him, that's fine. But don't wait for another chance. Because in his grace and mercy, he's given it to you today. If you want us to pray with you about something in your life, that's fine, we will. If you want to you know, seek forgiveness for your sin, or if you want to pray for someone you love, if you want to join our church, you come. But what I want you to understand, what you need to do today is very simply this. Walk out of here. Walk out of this place today. Knowing mercy. Knowing the mercy of God in your life. Father, in the name of Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I ask that you, in only the grace that you have, touch the lives of those who don't know Christ, and that today they will trust him. They will turn away from their sin, and they will turn to you through faith in Jesus by that power of the Spirit. They will do so, Father, in response to the very faith you give them. They will not reject it any longer, but they will receive it. And I pray that you will touch all of our lives and the people we love and care about, that every day we'll experience in a way that is fresh and new your mercy, your compassion, your love for us. It is truly amazing. Amen. Would you stand?